going on, everyone? Happy Thursday. Oh, man, this week has just flown by. And you know what? That's okay because we got a match this weekend under the bright lights of ESPN2. And because we have a match to set up, and thankfully because Mr. Owen Evans is gone and kind of kind of getting sick of that guy as we normally do around here, we had to bring in not a replacement, but honestly someone better, someone way better than that Owen fellow. We have the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. John Morrissey. How the heck are we doing? Doing really well. I know I was saying pre-pod, like I've been a fan of everything BHNX is doing, so I'm super hyped to be here and yeah, talk about some rising. Let's go, man. I didn't even even pay him extra to say that or anything. He's just a fan of the pod. Yes, Jet, as he points out, Owen looks different. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, Owen, look, Owen looks a, a lot better. Paul so doesn't doesn't ramble on and talk as much uh, crap. So, John, we appreciate you joining here. Um, and yeah, man, it's going to be a, a fun podcast for those of you joining us. You know, we're going to get into everything as we normally do. On these shows before match day, I'm going to preview a bit about Memphis, really break him down. Again, super happy to have John here, get his perspective on that. Dive a bit further into, you know, some rising players, um, really any underlying numbers and just how they're trending throughout the season. And then getting into around the USL, some key matchups to watch uh, and a little CONCACAF, uh, some spiciness there. But hey, we'll get right into it. Um, you know, Memphis 901. They are sitting third in the Eastern Conference, and they're a team where they have the best uh, goal differential in the East, plus 14. Definitely a team where I saw them last year. They've definitely hit some highs. A bit of a streaky start at times during the season, but they're a force to be reckoned with. John, what do you like about Memphis? Yeah, this is a Memphis team that lost both of their first two games of the season, and they've not lost since. (laughs) It took a little bit of time with the new coach figuring out some of the early injuries, but they're a weapon offensively. They're the highest scoring team in the league right now, despite the fact that they've only played 14 games, which is less than anybody. Um, It's the way that they're able to get the ball forward, press you really hard, and just constantly keep the territory in their advantage, where they feel like they're always in the final third, putting you under the gun. So I think that's really what makes this a, a really hard team to beat uh, week in and week out. No, no, 100%. And I think like it's something that we, we had noted in the beginning of the season of like they were an interesting team last year in some way. <laughs> Chad asked me is Bill Hamid still in goal. Um, they were definitely an interesting team last year. And we were kind of wondering, are, like, are they going to be able to double down on that success? And early doors in the season – Jerry was kind of still out, but I mean, to your point, right, they really have ridden that hot streak and it's about finding the right players, about finding the guys in the squad. Um, I mean, right, kind of looking at, you know, really who are the key playmakers within this team, Rodrigo da Costa, um, you know, leading the team with six goals, um, you know, Aaron Malloy um, also leading the team in assists, really just a, a group who, like you said, they have the offensive firepower and the goal differential is matching. Where have you seen that improve over the course of the season? I mean, I think the big inflection point was the trade where they dealt Philip Goodrum for DaCosta. Mm-hmm. Goodrum was a guy who had 20 plus goals last season. He was the star who got it done. 
And then they, he wanted to move on to either mm-hmm. Europe or MLS. The team wouldn't let him. He said he was devastated to be back in Memphis in the preseason, which is <laughs> about as harsh as you can get, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but in, tra- <laughs> in trading him for DaCosta, DaCosta isn't really a typical number nine. He's mm-hmm. not going to do all of those striker kinds of things. He's much more of a creator, somebody who's gifted with the ball at his feet. Mm-hmm. So they turned into a much more fluid attacking team one that doesn't really rely on a striker, but anybody can make that run in behind that puts you over the top, that overloads the defense. So there's sort of this Hydra kind of conundrum where you cut off one head, two more are popping up to take advantage of whatever you're doing defensively. And I think that's really what's special about DaCosta in particular and in terms of his fit with this side. No, definitely. And I mean, yeah, that's pretty, pretty harsh commentary from the, in the preseason. But um, yeah, interesting how this team continues to shape up. You mentioned that it's a pretty fluid attack, right? And something that we've noted, you know, right, we, you know, watching every rising match and we're seeing where some of rising's weak points is rising very much has is a team where they are incredibly success, uh, susceptible, wow, word, susceptible on the counter. Um, and it's something where it really depends if those guys have speedsters that's one way to really um, help break down rising. But even in recent weeks, rising has bit, fallen a bit prey to even some of the deep crosses coming in from about, you know, 30 yards out or so into the box, ones that maybe it's not necessarily driving down to the end line. You mentioned that Memphis has a very fluid attack. Either of those two situations, whether it is the counterattack or some of those deep crosses in where maybe rising's lines a bit pushed up, they're not ready for it. Do you see either of those as avenues of attack that Memphis can exploit. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the last game out for Memphis, one of their goals very late on, I think it might have been the winner against Charleston, was like this textbook counterattack. You work it wide to Knight Pickering, who at 17 years old is someone to watch for this team. But they've got, it's again, it's that Hydra thing where DaCosta can do it in very settled phases of play because he's a very good dribbler. Mm -hmm. Pickering has that speed and creativity on the break. Someone like a Laurent Kissidou is so good on set pieces. They can just beat you in pretty much every scenario. But in that deep cross um, situation, Memphis really benefits from the fact that their central midfield is made up of Aaron Malloy and Jeremy Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelly almost had 10 assists last year, and Malloy was an MVP finalist. They're both the gifted offensive players who just sit deep, play those balls in, those deep crosses, and can really challenge you. Memphis, I don't want to say that Phoenix is particularly susceptible to what they do, because I think Memphis sort of matches up well with everybody in terms Mm -hmm. of what they do attacking wise, but they certainly have the firepower and the personnel to give Phoenix a tough time. No, for sure. I again, Jets comment. They're saying goal that game was a Trey Muse special. Uh, yeah, they uh, fans really have a soft spot for uh, Trey Muse out here. <laughs> um, okay, so some of the so that's some of the ways right where Memphis can be lethal on the attack. Where are I know they right? We mentioned it's very clear we've outlined that they have the very good goal differential. Where are some of the ways that they can be exploited on defense? They're a slow defensive team. If you yeah. think about Reese Buckmaster on the right side, I think he's fantastic. He puts himself in good positions, but he's not very athletic. I think that applies to Graham Smith in the middle, Carson Bomsteeg or Jelani Peters, depending on who starts. They can deal with you physically, but they just aren't up to snuff in terms of the speed aspect of things. Mm-hmm. 
Um, in net, Bill Hamid, despite the fact that he's looking a little bit chunky these days, is still really good <laughs> in goal. Yeah, he's he got a couple yeah, saves. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's thick for sure. But uh, <laughs> Drew Romig is a li- <laughs> Drew Romig is a little bit weaker in terms of what you're getting from him. Um, I know Hamid's been out a little bit with injuries lately, so that'll be something to watch for sure. Mm-hmm. Just because you get that younger goalie, I think Romig came into the season having made like two professional appearances in his life. He's not experienced, so going on the road for a big game could be something that catches him out a little bit. So working past that defense on the counter, leveraging the speed, and that can come with the lineup decisions for Phoenix, I think is something that will bear fruit in this matchup. No, and that's, I mean, honestly, that's music to my ears. A lot of Rising's fans' ears, especially as they continue to work the absolute plethora of wingbacks that they've had um, where yeah. they are just straight up injured and really getting back into form. But we absolutely love that. Uh, I mean, I think rising like, right. They have had an inconsistent attack at times this season. They have seen to bring it on as of late, especially down that um, really the right-hand side. But I think that's something where they've threatened all season. They've always had the speed, um, you know, through those wingbacks, being able to blow the doors off of slower defenses. It really just has been that final ball at times. But that's encouraging to see and, you know, kind of going along the lines of maybe an older Bill Hamid. We'll see, you know, if he's able to hold up to the task in a national game such as this. Yeah, I mean, you speak to the wingbacks, but then what if you throw Gallardo out on the wing rather than having Armanakas out there? Like, Garrett has a number of levers he can pull to try to take advantage of what Memphis is uh, putting out there in terms of those weaknesses. And I think that Memphis, just given the aggressiveness of their press, the way that they try to pin you back, mm-hmm. they leave a lot of space in behind where you play direct enough, you could get any Trejo out on the break. Like there are enough players on Phoenix who have the technical ability to work past a slow defense that I think this is going to be a pretty open-ended game in general. No, absolutely. Well, and I mean, I think you even highlighted like the um, the the direct ball is we've seen at times with rising. It's I want I don't want to say it's a break glass in case of emergency. It's not necessarily yeah. that scenario, but it's been times where we have seen, especially earlier on the season, this team has really made a concentrated effort of they want to play out of the back. They want to be very deliberate and intentional in their buildup, and yet. Very often, even if it's coming from the midfield, whether it is uh, Carlos Harvey carrying the ball forward, pressing and able to break up uh, and start an opposing counterattack, or Arenzo Zambrano, who is incredibly, in my mind, underrated in his passing, this team is very capable of playing the long ball over the top, bypassing that back line, getting it into forward's feet. I'm very curious how that matchup plays up, especially knowing Memphis's pension for for um, really scoring themselves, it's going to be a bit of a chess match, especially against a rising side where, shocker, they're a lot better at home than they are on the road. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough atmosphere. And if yeah. you're Memphis making the cross-country trip, an 11 p.m. start is tough if yeah. you're an away team coming from the East. or mm-hmm. I think Memphis might be central time zone. I get that confused all the time. But that's a big deal. And it's one of, I think, six ESPN2 games all regular season. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a little bit of attention. There are some eyeballs. This is Memphis's chance to show that they weren't just the Ben Pierman team, that they have their own identity. So I think there's a little bit of some of the bad juju coming against them here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh... It's going to be an interesting one for sure. Um, it's going to be a nice, nice string of matches for um, 
for especially for the ESPN2 crowd, for those who are watching the USL Championship and all the other games that they have to offer. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the one other thing I'm curious about Memphis is really... Who do you think, right? We talked about some of their key playmakers and their difference makers. Who are maybe some of like the more unheralded guys that really could make a difference that I would say maybe haven't featured as much in recent games or ones that have come along early in the season, maybe have phased out a bit? Yeah, I'm, I mean, Rashawn Dali is somebody who pops into my mind in that context. He was somebody who in seasons past was a pretty physical classic hold-up striker mm-hmm. and then memphis in their first couple games of the year because of injuries was using him as a defender um, and he's played everywhere on the pitch and i think that's really his value is the versatility in the second half of that charleston game last week he played as a winger but what he was doing defensively uh, man marking uh, nick markanic uh, fidel barajas especially really limited what the battery could do in transition and it changed the face of the game and let them come back to get that three to two win. So he's somebody that if you're trying to shut down Trejo in transition, if you want to make sure that Armanakis can't cut back onto that left foot, he is the player to kind of be that stopper out wide. So he's someone I'd be watching for sure. Mm. Mm. No, I appreciate that. That's excuse me. That is uh, no, that's absolutely clutch. I mean, especially this rising team, especially with the different with the addition of Panos, definitely have been right. They're still deliberate and they're playing playing the ball, looking to spray it around. But it's definitely seemed like they've taken that next evolution of where don't always have to play necessarily vertically. It can be a little bit more of that lateral, uh, the lateral, the side to side movement. But really being able to drive that people, I think that's something that Panos has added that additional layer to it, and it's going to be interesting to see how Memphis clogs up the midfield um definitely a lot of traffic within that midfield within the center of the pitch a lot of traffic as well coming to our friends at circle k circle k they are always driving traffic because they have all the kinds of good stuff they got the good premium gas cheap iced coffee the beer all the things you want to get energy drinks all that jazz but for those of you who are listening in arizona john i apologize you are not able to take advantage of this deal because you're in new york you are not in arizona but for those of you who are listening and watching in arizona you can get out your phone grab those digits on the phone you text phnx to 31310 that is phnx to 31310 for buy one get one free polar pops and uh yeah you're gonna enjoy something cold on a hot summer day especially it's you know the you know espn2 audience they're gonna see it uh in phoenix at eight o'clock it's still hot at eight o'clock you need a polar pop to cool on down so check out our friends at circle k for all that good stuff and another nice way to cool down is with our friends at Four Peaks, Four Peaks, the uh, Arizona hometown brewery, the official craft beer of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Johnny, you say you're a PHNX fan, and our PHNX Diamondbacks show is, well, they're crushing it. It was a tough, uh, tough game today, but hey, Corbin Carroll, named to yeah. the all-star team. We absolutely love that. Four Peaks, again, the official craft beer of the Diamondbacks. They are our official craft beer. We absolutely love them. Check out the Rattle on Red Ale. Check out the Four Peaks Draft Room at Chase Field. All of that good stuff. You can follow them at Four Peaks Brew and at Four Peaks Pub to learn all about Arizona's hometown brewery. Again, you must be 21 years or older to enjoy responsibly, but we appreciate our friends at Circle K and Four Peaks for keeping us cool in the summertime. All right. John, so we talked a lot about Memphis really highlighting some of their players, their trends and everything like that. Um, you know, let's talk about rising. And I, something that I really enjoyed is 
after the uh, New Mexico win uh, last Wednesday, you put out a nice thread on Twitter. And by the way, if you guys have not seen uh, John's Twitter threads, follow him at USL Tactics uh, on Twitter. You'll, we'll give you a nice time to, to plug um, yourself at the end of the show as well. But yeah, follow him on, on Twitter at USL Tactics. Always putting out phenomenal content and nice, uh, nice like uh, GIF-sized uh, videos and stuff. Super cool with the analysis. Honestly, it's very nice uh, and digestible content. Um, anyway, on after Wednesday's match against New Mexico, you know, I'm seeing on here, right? You're really talking about you know a bit of Rising's new shape and really outlining how it's kind of very fluid in their attack as well, and really highlighting how we keep on talking about Penos really has made that addition to this team, especially within his movement, both on the ball. And really, specifically, his carries and how he's helping to distribute his teammates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think you saw in some of the prior cameos that he'd made before he was getting regular, regular time, mm. he would sometimes play as more of that central number 10 player, where obviously he's a player with really great vision, really quick technique. He can put do damage in that spot. But I think what he proved with Loudon and then moving into Phoenix and in that New Mexico game is that he's best off on that right wing. Uh, he's two-footed enough that he gives you a threat, but it's that ability to cut inside from the wing, draw the attention of defenders, and really suck in that defense very narrow that is opening up space for Phoenix, opening up space especially on the weak side when you're getting Trejo running in behind. You saw that pay fruit. Uh, it's just adding to the danger that this team has it's buying more time for teammates like a Varela, like Arteaga getting in behind. It just makes everything flow a little bit more. It uh, makes the opposition just have a little bit more pause whenever they want to react or mark somebody. So he's opening up this offense in a really major way for my taste. No, absolutely. It's something where we pointed out um, on that assist to Danny Trejo, there was a point where he suckered in uh, six uh, New Mexico defenders. And I mean, there was a couple of them that weren't even in the frame or excuse me, that were like 20 yards outside uh, on the outer edges of the frame where Danny Trejo's run was going. So it's something where he draws a crowd, you know, and we even noted that um, he's a guy who he might lose possession just kind of based on the nature of his play. But he really has brought that extra dimension to Rising's offense, and one of the biggest contributors, even if he's not necessarily assisting him directly, I think uh, Arteaga, Manuel Arteaga, has absolutely been a byproduct of Penos coming in and really just shifting up this offense a bit. Yeah, just speaking to Armanakis a little bit, yeah. I think he's top five or top six in the league in terms of shots created for teammates. Mm -hmm. He's somebody that if you're a defense, you have to respect him, you have to close him down tight, or he's going to make you pay for it. So Arteaga is somebody who, with Indy 11, moving to Phoenix, he's proven time and again that he's got the instinct of a pretty traditional striker. If you're giving him that extra room, if you're putting him in more of a one-on-one -on -one sort of context, he can take advantage. He's gifted physically. He's got the brain. There's the complete package there that he just needed a little bit more space to do things. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing the benefit right now where... Well, year over year with Indy 11, he really declined in 2022 because that team was a bit of a dumpster fire. They didn't have those <laughs> second options offensively. And now Phoenix. Oh, I think we got uh... Phoenix when they can do optimally. Oh. Oh, that's okay. I think we got, I think we got you frozen for a second. John, you hear us okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. We're all good. Awesome. Okay. okay. Yeah, we know uh, you're, you're good. I think we heard, heard you saying it was, um, you know, he had a, 
uh, declined a bit with Indy 11, but definitely that team was a dumpster fire. And now you're seeing the byproduct of like him having a little bit more space, a little bit more of that fluid offense. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. No, no. Then it's something where I think there are times he's been criticized for maybe a lack of sharpness, a lack of kind of that striker's guile, so to speak. But I mean, right, he's, you know, at, at the time after last match, he was tied uh, for the golden boot tally, um, absolutely on a, on a on a heater of a hot streak, as we say. Um, it's going to be interesting. Do you like his matchup against Memphis's center backs? Um, I think it's kind of down the middle in terms of a matchup that might be pro or con for him. They can deal with him physically for sure. Yeah. I don't know if Artiaga has the burners necessarily to really punish them in that sense, but just keeping them occupied with his frame, with his ability to respectably hold up the ball, I think is a big deal in that it opens up Trejo. It opens up the rest of the wingers and the uh, attacking midfield to do some damage in the meantime. Mm. Okay. That's fair. And I mean, to, to his point, I mean, he's, I wouldn't say he's necessarily a slow player, but like he's, you know, he's, he's not like some of the others on this team where his game is yeah. built on speed. So that's, that's a fair point. Okay. I see Jed speaking of any 11 USL championship putting solo on blast. Oh boy. Our friends, Holman Asante. Um, yeah. I mean, we're ta- talking about Artiaga, talking about Panos, you know, I, I'm curious, right. To get your take on this. We've actually kind of clamored back and forth on, um, on this podcast over the season of, you know, Fede Varela was really a highlight marquee edition of rising in the off season. Oh, and I've kind of said, you know, he might still be in a slump. Maybe he's shown flashes during the season, but I don't, we don't really know if it's just been the consistent body of work to keep warranting starts. I'm curious when you've seen them play, if you think maybe you're seeing something different, if you see the spurts as well, because we all have heralded this as like, this could be a guy who we thought could be team MVP uh, caliber and just hasn't been there all, all that often. With Varela, you get those flashes pretty much every game where once or twice he'll play a ball that just takes your breath away to a certain yeah. extent. But more consistently, I think he hasn't been able to find space all that often. I, I mean, he doesn't have an assist yet this year, and that says a lot that some of the decision-making just seems like it's a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit slowed down. I would think that he's a pretty natural fit within this Phoenix system in terms of the pace of what they're trying to do and build up the way that they want to be so possessive. But he just hasn't flourished as I think Phoenix fans in the league at large thought he would based on Mm -hmm. that track record and the talent that's there. You want to keep him in this lineup and see what develops because mm. he is so talented. But given the matchup, and not just against Memphis, but in other games as well, there's an argument to be made that time is up and he needs to put up or shut up or else yep. he's not going to be guaranteed those minutes at a certain point. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair, especially with you know other guys coming into the mix within similar position groups, again, getting healthier out wide. Um Certainly making a, a, a tough case. And I mean, right, you see the the instant impact in a way that, you know, panels has come in again. It's not necessarily in a way a like for like position. They kind of are a bit fluid in how they are moving about the field and where they start. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's definitely an interesting one. Um, someone that has been 
pretty consistent all throughout the season. And I mean, we even saw it right in the New Mexico match, setting up a goal, um, really just even on matches where I think he flies under the radar. He still is seemingly our man of the match almost every other match, every third match as most. It is Carlos Harvey. And that man, I, I, I mean, listen, Owen's been saying it throughout the season. We all you know, pretty much echo it that he seems above this level in the sense that he's bigger. He's more physically dominant. He's just gifted. And I haven't seen a center mid that size really just move the way he does. He's very low on his feet. He's got uh, he's got a little something different. I mean, it's got to be a treat, right? Like even when, you know, you, you watch the rising games, he pops out on the screen. You don't have to watch this team every week to see Absolutely. that guy's different. Yeah, I a couple weeks ago wrote like a one third of the way through the year, like team of the year sort of thing. And he was in there for me. He had this rap when he was with L.A. of being the guy who was very hot headed, who'd go and uh, two foot somebody spikes up and get a red card. Right? You know, it's he he has a penchant for a yellow, you know, about every game. So some of it's still there. (laughs) But I think I think the way he's been able to channel that aggressiveness yeah. channel the power within his game and take it in a much more positive and productive direction and some of that comes with being in phoenix somewhere that has those high standards that has a real fan base instead of the training pitch atmosphere that you had with la galaxy 2 mm-hmm. but man he for me is probably the most improved player in across the whole championship what he does with the ball carriage, like you mentioned, is unbelievably important for Phoenix. He does it defensively. He really is good about those late runs into the box as a goal-scoring threat time and again. He's just such a vital cog. And I think you're right to point out that he looks a cut above this level right now. And, I mean, you can't say enough. He flies under the radar league-wide for my taste, but he's crucial. Mm. No, I, absolutely. I, I think, right, he... He's a guy, especially you pair him in the midfield, where whether he is paired with, again, Arenzo Zambrano, who he is a bit of that ball-winning center back, but also is very underrated and can hit a ball forward, or uh, Jose Andres Hernandez, where he is you know, much closer to kind of that 8-10 hybrid of he's just going to move the ball, progress the ball forward, small guy, not going to really do as much of the defensive damage, no matter who he's paired with. He he does everything. He literally, I, you look at his uh, touch map and his heat map after a match, and it's like, where didn't he cover on the pitch? He is seemingly like everywhere, and he just does a four yard burst, makes it look easy. It's uh, it's really something to see. Um, and it honestly blends well because right, we've seen him able to drop back in a pinch, play a little bit of center back. And I, I, there's kind of a transition. We see me working from up the pitch at the forward level all the way back to the back line. But, uh, you know, a guy who almost is his compliment in the reverse is, you know, captain when he's on the pitch, Kev Lambert. I know he's off at, um, you know, for Jamaica in the Gold Cup right now. He's also a guy where, you know, traditionally his position that he was at in rising, um, you know, even at spurts within the uh, national team was in that center mid uh, and, Go figure. He stepped in the center back role. We were wondering before the season if he's going to be able to claim that spot and really like not, I guess, lack that transition. And he is like not only claimed that and he's just dominant. He looks like he's been playing that position for years. And no disrespect to the other members, uh, the other center backs on Rising's roster. He's been hands down the best one they've had all season. Yeah, no disagreement on that point. I mean, he's pretty crucial tactically to what this team does as well in terms of his ability to play the ball at that spot, given how possessive and short they want to be playing out of the back. 
uh, you often see that variation in buildup where two of the center backs stay a bit deeper and he'll kind of sneak up the right side, which just creates those little overloads. You only can do that because he's such an intelligent player. He has the combination of really high-end skill within the USL and physical ability to recover back defensively and make the right read at any given moment. I mean, it's kind of trite to say that he's a legend within the league, like, but he is, and we yeah. should pay more attention to it. He's been here for years with Phoenix, and he's really the identity of this team in a lot of ways. I mean, honestly, he's been he's been just a... Uh... Not just, I mean, right, obviously in Phoenix, like, too, like, you love just the community presence, plus being rewarded with, like, the captain's armband. It's just, like, a nice kind of full circle culmination moment. But, um, yeah, on the pitch, like, I, I think it's it's just such a different role, and it's something that, I don't know, you just make it look so easy. And I think that's the beautiful part, too, is, you know, he's definitely gotten older in this career. He's still by no means, like, out of his prime or anything like that, but... You have to, like, you'd think a guy as athletic as he is, he could make up for it a lot of it in, you know, speed and even, and even you know, strength. He's by no means the fastest guy, but he's able to make up the ground when he needs to. But that's the thing I've really noticed is he's always in the right place. He never seems like he's having to scramble, too. It's Yeah, it's the combination of that brain, but the long stride, the ability to just read every situation. You mentioned the age. He's only 26. Like That's, a, that's a crazy thing. It's like teenager. he's been playing yeah. so long, and I'm like, that's the prime. Like, he's in his prime. Like, he's still young, you know, comparatively. You look at him, you think about the reputation, and you think the guy's probably 30, 31, but yeah. plenty of time left yeah. for him to be the one of the best players in the league. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, to, to Jet's point, right, wondering maybe, you know, even past coaches, right, even past coaches who are no longer on the rising of saying, like, you know, it's not a it, Kev is is amazing in this league, but he's a guy who you don't want to see him play here in the sense of like he deserves a move, not just to MLS, but like to Europe across the pond, like two bigger and better things. So, you know, interesting to see. Right. We we love him as long as he's on rising. We're going to be celebrating him and everything like that. Uh, Tyler, see in the chat as well. Sup, peeps. PHX needs to get this win. Absolutely agree there. Um, and crucial too. Rising, getting the win, uh, you know, again, with the continuing the treatment and the, the thread of going from front to back in this formation. It is Rocco Rios Novo. Uh, it is something when when Rising, when uh, Ben Lunt went to um, St. Louis and it's like he was the saves leader in the USL last season. And granted, that was a tough season for Rising. You don't necessarily want to see a keeper making that volume of saves, but even just the way that Lund carried himself was very much the enforcer in the back. He carried a a figurative and literal big presence. It's something where, okay, who is going to fill his shoes? And then you see Rocco come in and it's like, well, he has the MLS pedigree. He's played, um, you know, in different leagues. And it's like, okay, I like the talent, but it's a very different profile. And again, to his credit, he's in the top five in saves this year in USL. It's continuing the trend of rising goalkeepers rising pun slightly intended to the occasion on this one what do you attribute to his game because i think his footwork has been good sometimes a bit you know there's been a couple goals where he's been liable to um you know maybe being wrong-footed as any goalkeeper does but he's a guy who again he's uh what sub six foot but he plays much bigger than that no that's right i think he's a very reactive responsive goalkeeper He's not somebody who's off his line sweeping much, yeah. but yeah. he's always quick to move within the box to make sure he's in a decent spot. Um, I 
for someone who's 21 years old, I think he's got a good sense for communication with his back line as well. I think he's pretty solid on set pieces. Uh, if you look at the numbers, he's responsible for about like three goals saved above average. He's up there with probably the second tier of goalkeepers right now where he's not going to win the golden glove just because mm -hmm. there are some elite guys out there, but he's the next best thing. Pair that with what he does with the ball at his feet. That's something special that you don't yeah. see all that often. And especially in the second division. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I think like he's made a couple of saves of like, it has to take you a step back of like, how, like, how does he do it? A couple like ones reach right behind him. And just like yeah. the quick, the quick twitch kind of moment. I think that's the thing where, right. Some bigger keepers, you're able to get away with it within the positioning or just how you're set up. And I don't think you can teach that type of reflexes. You either have it or you don't. And again, it's not that he skimps on his positioning. He very much often is in the right place at the right time to make those saves, but he just commands his line really well as well. I think the communication is a very underrated part of that game. And when you surround yourself with an experienced back line also helps there. Yeah, I mean, he was somebody as a, a younger player who was pretty well regarded within Argentina. Uh, there was a reason he drew the interest from Atlanta United in the first place. And getting time with Atlanta United too, when he did, that was a team that was bleeding chances in transition. So he didn't really have a good chance to shine there. So it's been nice to see him in a Phoenix team that isn't error free, but certainly is a lot more organized than the train wreck that Atlanta was. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's fair. That's yeah, tough, tough Atlanta team. They've fallen on hard times for sure. Um no, but uh well actually I'm doing pretty I'm horrible this season. But no, uh it's it's interesting to see his progression and really just again continuing the mold for rising goalkeepers in a different way. Um pretty much hit a lot of the starting eleven, or at least the the guys who I think our normal talking points for us, again, it's always nice to get a different perspective, especially someone who knows the league so well. Is there any other rising players that either it's a personal affinity for, someone you're super intrigued by, or someone who you might think could be an X factor in this matchup against Memphis? I'm a big fan of Gabby Torres, just generally. Yeah. I think yeah. he's kind of a, he seems like a, a pretty warm dude. I think he's pretty talented and versatile in terms of what he gives you on the pitch. I don't know if he's going to be the X factor in this game or really the season for rising, but that ability to fill in eight minutes at those wingback spots, that's useful. And he's somebody that is going to improve any squad he's in. So yeah. I think he flies under the radar in the scope of the league. It's just a good piece to be having. I think so. And I think, I mean, I think he had a tough uh, showing against Oakland, but also he's very much yeah. working his way back from injury, right? Playing, you know, keep on continuing to look to play those full 90s and whatnot. And that's always tough going back. Like, even the start of the season, he had the opening assist uh, against Charleston in the season opener, had uh, another one against Birmingham Legion. He's just racked him up, whether it is actually getting on this uh, the stat sheet or not. He's a guy who he's got the speed to burn. And he is, again, more often than not, seemingly in that right position. But also, he's got a nice final ball. I think that's something where rising, they have the speed on the outside, but not everyone can necessarily whip in that cross, and especially at the different levels that he can. And I've seen yes. him make the variety of crosses, whether it's driving to the end line, beating his man, whipping in a low, shallow cross, or playing it from deep, again, outside, um, even deeper into the midfield of the 18 yard box and going, you know, from that de different types of depth. So I like him as a nice piece, especially as he works his way back. Uh, I'm glad you resonate with him as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Phoenix has pace for days out in those areas. He's someone with a little bit more refinement and I think that's why he's valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I was going to say talking about both teams and kind of knowing, right. Some of the strengths, the weaknesses, how these teams are playing. How do you see this game playing out on Saturday night? Yeah, I've been debating back and forth where (laughs) I land. I think Memphis is probably the better team, but that's not really a controversial statement. No. But this is a tough context. I think Phoenix has some things that they can really turn to that aren't out of the realm of possibility that can give them an edge here. I think this ends up pretty even and we get an exciting 2-2 draw, a game that's pretty open, but ends up splitting the points. I heard 2-2 draw. Did I hear that right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. 2-2 draw. I like it. High scoring chat. Let us know what do you think as well. Uh, Harry, hello. It's been a minute. Nice to see you, Harry, as well. Very cool shirt as well to John. Um, Yeah, chat. Let us know. We got 2-2 draw. That's, uh, I mean, honestly, if you're rising and you're looking at this, especially seeing the string of games that they've played, Harry with rising is the better team, in my opinion. I I like it. I, I get it. Memphis can be prone to the chaos ball times, especially if you're harkening back to last season. Um, I think that the string of matches that rising has had recently, I think that a lot of their performances have over indexed in the sense that I, Oh, and I've kind of debated this. I think they should have taken three points from Oakland. Yes, they had their chances, but I, I believe that while it was good to get a point, the fact that they even were down in that match, it kind of a disservice to how they played. So I think the performances have only been trending upwards, especially after the Mexico game, even going back to Louisville, you know, that's also a game they could have won. They missed the penalty. And yet this is a tough Memphis team, even at home. Man, I think I'm contradicting myself. I like 2-2. Two, two. I I might even make it even more chaos. I'm, I think I'm going to go 3-3. Three, three. Uh, and okay. I don't know. There, you, you say Memphis is high scoring. I think Rising's, you know, Rising's only put, um, put up three goals a, a few times this season, but... Let's see what happens. Let's see. Harry has the rising at three. Memphis won. Okay. We got it. We got a dominant win for, for rising. I'll take a two goal win. I like that. I like that. Well, we got to see, we got to see what happens. Um, yeah, we got to see what happens with them. It could be, it could be a very interesting match, but something that we know we're going to be looking at what happens is with our friends at Valley Tap Room. Valley Tap Room, right? They got all the good beers in place. It's a great place to watch a rising match. It's, of course, at home, but when you guys are um, looking to catch rising on the road, great place to tune up there. They got the Four Peaks beer, which we already talked about earlier, but they also have wine. They got spirits. They got a nice outdoor patio. They got um, car- They have karaoke from time to time. They have the Trivia Tuesdays, all the kinds of good stuff. Um, yeah, John, you, uh, you're pretty good at, at the trivia. You play trivia often. I was a big, uh, high school quiz bowl guy. So oh, yeah, nice. big into that. Heck yeah. <laughs> Owen and I have gone to uh, Valley Tap Room a couple of times. I, uh, you know, of course carry the team, you know, it's, it's a shocker, uh, shocker. I know you're Owen just kind of hangs yeah. out there, you know, <laughs> tries to, tries to look nice, but yeah, you guys can check out Valley Tap Room as well. Um, on Instagram at Valley Tap Room and in person off the of 202 and Gilbert. Um, yeah, it must be 21 years or older to enjoy Valley Tap Room, of course. Also got to be 21 year old, years or older to enjoy our friends at OG's Brands. OG's Brands is Arizona's scratch-made THC gummies. They have the best stuff. Pink Lemonade, their new summer edition. It is absolutely delightful. It smells phenomenal. I'm getting a thumbs up from producer Damon. He likes them. We all like 
OGs over here at PHNX. Uh, and yeah, enjoying them on the, I think people were enjoying them on the Sun Show earlier. A couple other folks were watching Spider-Man over the weekend, enjoying some OGs. That'll take you to a Spider-Verse and then some. So check out our friends at OGs Brands on Instagram at OGs Brands. That's O-G-E-E-Z Brands on Instagram and on uh, the websites, the URLs, if you will, the www ogsbrands.com. Again, you must be 21 years or older to enjoy OGs as well. All right. So we ran through this matchup, this matchup between Memphis and Rising, gave our predictions, walked through both squads. That was really, I mean, it's all honestly very cool. And we always like to make sure that like our assessment of the players and really just other perspectives aren't totally crazy. So I'm glad that we both think Rising, very interesting and exciting team, especially within this matchup. I'm curious to see you like within other matchups uh you know around the usl any matchups that really highlight as okay that's one you want to tune in and watch yeah well i mean we just saw uh harry in the chat but that san antonio birmingham <laughs> game this weekend that feels like a big deal where birmingham they lost seven games in a row in the league uh, but everyone kind of forgot because they were doing so well in the open yeah. they're finally finding form again but then san antonio like Every time they start to get momentum, like Adeneron goes back to St. Louis and the loan ends, they lose that game to Sacramento. Mm -hmm. They just feel like they haven't got that momentum in the same Mm -hmm. way this year. So they're in fine shape and I'm not like being kind of alarmist with them, but it's an interesting game and Birmingham can be a tough team. So that's probably the game I'm watching closest this weekend. That's fair enough. No, I mean that, that to me, that's going to be, Definitely an, ab- an absolutely one of like Birmingham, absolutely tops of the tree. When Rising, I remember when Rising played them, they were top of the East, and we're thinking like, oh gosh, and we're going on the road. It was Easter, was it Easter Sunday, I believe, and it was a crazy, crazy match that they ended up winning three two. Um, their season has been very interesting. Another one, and this is a battle of the East: Pittsburgh Riverhounds and Louisville City. It's at Pittsburgh. That's going to be also another defining one. Rising right played both those. Uh, both those matches um, in recent weeks and two incredibly tough opponents. Yeah. Pittsburgh, I think is nine games in a row. They've won at home. They are looking really good defensively. Louisville has some things to figure out where they just don't have that same level of coherence and flow and attack. Mm. I mean, they're Louisville. They're going to get it together. They always do. But at some point, it's not going to work out. They're going to have the season that Phoenix had last year. And mm-hmm. it's not that bad, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, going back to Harry's comments, a worry for San Antonio. While Legion had that open cup run, took away from the league. Yep, very fair. Having a more unified approach. It's, yeah, but I think both of those very, very great matches. A lot of, it's going to be an interesting one in, uh, in the USL as things continue to take shape. But uh, we will see again, just kind of looking at, the table uh, rising, right? Jumping back to them. Excuse me. Uh, sitting in that seventh spot there. Um, and yeah, it's going to be interesting. Whereas, right, Memphis sits in that third spot. But, you know, some of the matches we highlighted, right? Pittsburgh, top of the East. Sack, top of the West. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of quality matches this weekend. But it's going to be an interesting one. But while we cover rising out here, we also have to take a little look at the CONCACAF gold cup of course right we selfish reasons we are uh looking at uh our friend kev lambert who are is bossing things at jamaica played the full 90 drew a penalty against the united states had the uh, hockey assist as uh, people call it um in their recent victory so 
I'm curious, right, um, whether it's including Jamaican matches or anything outside, what has been, you know, some of the things that impressed you at the Gold Cup? I will say here at PHNX Studios, we watched Canada and Guadeloupe. And my word, what it like we were watching it right before this match uh, or excuse me, right before Tuesday's show, just like casually, hey, you know, like let's prep for the show, everything like that, throw it on. When Guadalupe went up 1-0 and we're thinking, I know this is Canada, they're missing some stars, but man, that was quite a showing against a lot of Canada's spine still intact. So I'm curious if they impressed you, anyone else from the Gold Cup? No, I mean, that's sort of the magic of the tournament, yeah. for sure, where you yeah. kind of get any of the more obscure Caribbean islands coming up with a result. I'm, not to stay too far off the pitch, but I always kind of find it crazy when you see, like, the state of Cuban players defecting in the middle of the tournament. And this applies to baseball, yeah. to soccer, whatever. But, like, losing four players from your team is a big deal. Yeah. And given the level they're at, like, there's probably four guys that are going to be in the USL next season or at the yeah. end of this season. So that's crazy. Uh, I got to shout out the Ferreira hat trick for the U.S. just oh, because yeah. patriotic civ- civic duty, I guess. Oh, of course, of, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah, I, I just, was just say, a fun I, tournament. Yeah. I'm so I'm so used to saying nice things about the U.S. men's national team or the U.S. women's national team, and Owen, of course, going along the lines of like, "Oh boy, it's not it's not Wales <laughs> or something like that." So it's a little bit of PTSD. So I appreciate you shouting out the the red, white, and blue. It was yeah, that was a it was a, a an interesting match too with Ferreira. He um. Right. I, I think he's definitely gets a hard knock off the times of not being a typical uh, quote unquote number nine and maybe lacking sort of the finishing or even just the opportunities that he may or may not get. But he put away that hat trick. He looked incredibly decisive and you can say what she wants. Again, you know, he only scores against, you know, primarily CONCACAF opponents, especially those the smaller ones. But he's the fastest 10 goals in uh, U.S. men's national team history. So there you go. Yeah. That says something. And, yeah. and hey, if he's not a traditional number nine classic striker, he's yeah. valuable to have in this squad because he gives you a different look. He so, does. Yeah, he absolutely does. No, it's uh, I think it's been a fascinating uh, prospect for the U.S. men's national team, seeing how they all kind of compare against your CONCACAF opponents. Is there someone? Well, it might be the U.S. US men's national team. Maybe it's someone else. Do you see a favorite continuing to emerge after the first crop of matches? I think it just has to be the U.S. Yeah. based on the talent level. But, <laughs> I mean, given that this isn't, like, A-plus team for the U.S., I think it's a pretty wide-open tournament right now. Oh, yeah. It would be fun for somebody like a Jamaica with Kev. I mean, Trinidad isn't going to do it, but I love to see teams with some USL guys making a run. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'm watching for. I think that's something, too, right, of, like, you see, um, right, a lot of these these tournaments, especially these regional, regional ones, people always think of, like, the World Cup or, you know, uh, you know, Champions League, whatever, is like, oh, this is where a lot of these players are scouted. But these regional tournaments, especially for a league like CONCACAF, like, that's really where you're able to maybe unearth some of these hidden gems. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, if you're looking at some of the big additions over the past year, like, um, Colorado Springs kind of have rebuilt around Jairo Enriquez from El Salvador. Uh, Oakland, much the same with Tamakas from that same country. Like, there's a lot of talent to be had here. And I, I think it's somewhere that the USL should be looking a lot more often going forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's uh, what this, this tournament's here for. A uh, nice way to showcase different players. Um, I was going to say, I mean, John, this has been awesome, man. I think we covered a lot from this matchup. Awesome to really do a little deep dive on Rising's roster, go around the league, CONCACAF, all that stuff. Um, anything that we missed that you would like to uh, shout out, draw attention to anything? 
Yeah, I mean, nothing specific to this game or the general soccer. I do just want to, again, emphasize, like, having family in the Valley, I'm a pretty big Yotes fan, and I've been watching Petey and Greg and Leah since day one. Like, it got me into this whole setup, and then what you guys have been doing with the Rising show has been unreal. So kudos to y'all for some really great content. Oh man, that's incredibly nice. I can't wait to clip that. Uh, I'll, we'll, we'll send it to them. That's going to that's gonna absolutely make their day in Nashville. But um, no, man, thank you again for taking the time. Truly, we appreciate your analysis, everything you're going on on Twitter. Often we're like, Oh gosh, like what, like what's uh, yeah, John like putting out, putting out either like a uh, different rankings or different analysis. So incredibly helpful. Where can people find you? Not only on Twitter, but I know you got other couple things cooking. Where can people find everything and anything that you're doing? Yeah, so I mean, start with the at USL tactics on Twitter for sure. I recap every USL game there in a short thread, which yeah. is stupid and crazy, but it's, it's there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, the writing stuff would be at Backheeled for the most part. I do have a sub stack, but Backheeled is where you want to be for the weekly power ranking, which is like a 5,000 word deep dive into what every team's been up to over the past week. And then the USL show podcast, where just once a week talking everything across the league, really great group of people with a good set of perspectives. So check that all out. Okay. You're the man. Check them out. Check them out. Um, and I was going to say, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll have, the, we'll have this pod out for everyone on Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. Uh, but thank you, everyone, for watching here along with us. Harry, Tyler, everyone um, in the chat. Uh, appreciate it. All awesome. Super cool. Always love the engagement. And we will catch you guys. Uh, I'm going to be joined by another special guest after Saturday uh, during the postgame show. Uh, gosh, that is going to be well past my bedtime at probably around 10, 15, 10, 30 or so on a Saturday. Goodness gracious. But hey. It's prime time, baby. It's what we got to do. Uh, John, thank you again for joining us. And yeah, until we catch you guys on Saturday, remember it is the beautiful game, but it is so much more beautiful when you're joined by people that's not named Owen Evans. We will catch you guys next time later. <laughs>